episode. Hey guys, this is Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Thank you for joining us on a coronavirus update. Uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about, and they all surround the treatments that are being developed, or, whoa, maybe already exist? Epstein, <laughs> somewhere out there. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, almost every treatment that they are currently in trials testing are ones that have been used in the past for something else. They're hoping to repurpose it here. Okay, so today, Tuesday, March 24th, is the day that we're recording this, and hopefully we're going to be releasing it, you know, in just a couple of days. Today, we passed 400,000 cases worldwide of corona, 50,000 cases in the U.S. Maybe today. we're the next epicenter. Very <laughs> exciting. America first. Yeah, and so by the time that this episode is out, if it's out on Thursday, I would estimate we're probably going to have 80,000 cases in the U.S. by then. We're doubling the number of cases approximately every three days. So, yeah. Hey, we have tested 0.1% of our population. Cool. Baby steps. Yeah, which is 300,000 people. Mm. Hey, that's way better than before. That's more money than I have. (laughs) Um, And out of those... (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) You could have said that much earlier. Sign up for Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the people that we have tested, out of those 300,000 people, 15.6% were positive. So, you know, hey. We got a lot of positive cases. Awesome. We need to keep testing. So all of those numbers, they're going to be changing as time goes on. But what we wanted to talk about was the fact that the WHO is beginning a multi-country, large-scale clinical trial for four different treatment regimens that they kind of consider to have the most potential for working. Give me the list, and then let's go through each one of them. Yes. So the first one is remdesivir. And then the second one is chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. And then the third is ritonavir and lapinavir, which is a combination. And then also those two drugs plus interferon beta. You kind of ruined it at the end. Those all sounded like men of Numenor earlier, right? <laughs> and, then, and then interfere on beta was no good? Yeah, you ruined it. I'm sorry. Remdesivir <laughs> was like the third king of Numenor. Well, a lot of these veer names are because virus, right? But ah, virals. yeah. So there's going to be this big clinical trial that's going to be happening across the world. It's called the Solidarity Trial. One of the strengths of this trial is that it's simply designed, so it should be very easy to enroll patients in. Obviously, in hospitals... They don't have a shitload of time to sit around and, like, file paperwork, right? They're dealing with a health crisis. So the fact that this trial is simply designed and will randomize the treatment to the patient for you is relatively easy to enroll and doesn't require doctors to spend a lot of time working on it. That's kind of vital right now. Right. So one weakness that is kind of, in part, a consequence of that strength is that it is not a blinded trial. So that means that... Even people who can see are using it, right? (laughs) Usually we only test on blind people. (laughs) And this is not a blind trial. No, so so blinding means that either the patient doesn't know what they're getting. Right. Or both the patient and the doctors don't know. Right. Famously, all acupuncture studies have rigorous (laughs) double blinds. The exact opposite. (laughs) Listen to our acupuncture episode. Mm. Anyway. It's a oldie but goodie. Yeah. So in this case, this trial is not blinded at all. And that is a weakness that's going to diminish a little bit what you can get out of the trial. But we're like busy right now. Yeah. Everyone knows about coronavirus. It's hard to do a blind. Exactly. And so in this case, in being easy to do and enroll people, they're hoping to have a very large trial so that the data is very robust. 
Now. I thought you said the dad is robust. So that the dad body is fully robust. I don't know if you guys know this, but Sean is, as it's known on the street, a zaddy. <laughs> <laughs> a much like Hassan Minaj. Oh, okay. Did I say his name wrong? I know that's a big deal. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like not Pakistan here. <laughs> it's hard for me. So, one thing I want to say before we talk about this list of drugs is that as we talk about them, this is not for you to go out and buy any of these kinds of compounds and try to take them yourself, okay? You can do that? That's metal as fuck. As you might have heard, a couple of people, or at least one person, has died from chloroquine poisoning. Wow. uh, Unfortunately, because they heard a president of a country say that chloroquine treatments were very promising. Which president? (laughs) Oh, oh, the Donald. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Griffin. You need to write to your representatives. Okay, Griffin? Put them down. So, do not go out and try to figure out some way to take any of these things. That's what doctors are for. Okay? And blind patients. (laughs) Okay. So, with all of that said, why don't we go ahead and get in there. We'll talk about remdesivir first. Mm, The greatest king. (laughs) So, remdesivir is actually already being tested in six clinical trials around the world. And we should be seeing early results from China in April. Does that mean they got started really early in February or something? Like, they literally, coronavirus came and they're like, oh, fuck, let's try this. Yeah, I think China started using remdesivir in January. Okay, and I'm told it's made by the Republic of Gilead. Yes. It's a handmaid's tale, right? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I didn't know they had such cutting-edge science in that theocracy. Yes, they are also a pharmaceutical company. So they make this drug, remdesivir. Remdesivir was actually originally produced to combat Ebola, but it was not super successful at but combating might Ebola. be good for this. Right. And so they've been releasing it to doctors in China and elsewhere under what's called the compassionate use release because it's not FDA approved for anything. Legit. But they have stopped doing that and are going to gear over to sort of an emergency approval, which means that they will be able to put this out into the clinical trials and actually collect the data on whether it works or not. Isn't it so fucking annoying that whenever there's any, like, crisis that has obvious empirical reality, the Republican first response is like, we need to deregulate the FDA. And you're like, how is that the first thing we're thinking about? (laughs) You knee-jerk sons of bitches. Yeah, I think the FDA could definitely use way more funding to be more efficient. That's true. It's like, give them money, goddammit. Yeah, yeah, to do it faster. Um, So... It's getting kind of difficult to get a hold of this drug at this point because it's in this transition period. It was previously not approved for anything, so they weren't making a shitload of it, right? So now they got to ramp things up. What it is, is it's a drug that mimics a nucleotide. Oh, shit. That's tricky, dude. So do you know, do you remember what nucleotides are? Yeah, man. Osmosis Jones. 14. Nucleotide war. That's not fucking useful. Tell me, do you know what a nucleotide is? It's like the little letter guys, right? Yes, they're the building blocks of DNA and RNA. Yeah. So good. So proud of you. (laughs) Took a while. Anyway, so it's these building blocks. And so this drug works as a mimic of that, right? So basically once, you know, sneaky SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus gets inside your cell, it wants to replicate itself. And it has an RNA genome. And it needs to use a protein called RNA polymerase to make copies of its RNA, right? It needs to copy itself. That RNA polymerase, this drug comes along and it just kind of slips on in there instead of one of the nucleotide letters. And it basically gums up the works. It keeps RNA polymerase from working. Damn. And so in that process, it will basically make it so that the virus can't replicate anymore inside your cells. Okay. And so, you know. 
Remdesivir. Uh, so it sounds like golden, man. Why don't we just get that out? It's literally in human beings right now. Like, they are doing it. The, but the why question, are we getting it out everywhere? <laughs> right. So the question is whether or not this actually works. Because like I said, this was developed for Ebola. Ebola also is an RNA virus that also uses RNA polymerase. And it saw some effects, but it wasn't effective enough. Right. Okay. And so we need to know, hey, is remdesivir effective enough to use? When is it effective? Can we use it anytime in the course of disease? Or does it only work early on in infections? Okay. And so all of this stuff, that's what clinical trials are for, okay? Remdesivir, like a lot of compounds, you can find papers where it says, hey, it works really well on coronaviruses in a dish. Right, okay? in a Petri dish. In a Petri dish. Go to our Patreon page. <laughs> and the thing is, a lot of things work in Petri dishes that do not work in people. Just because there's a lot more shit going on. It's just like a much right. redder, fuzzier environment in there. Right, and there's a lot of places for drugs to go. There's a lot of enzymes to break down drugs before they do their job. There, right. There's all kinds of reasons. And so people need to, if they read about something in a dish... That is not necessarily going to be the shit that's going to save anybody. Right. Okay? Everybody needs to calm down. It's going to take like, how long do you think it's going to take for any of these clinical trials to really finish up anyway? I think early results out of China sometime in April. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot sooner than I expected the answer to be. Because they've been doing it for a little bit. Okay. Right? But the most slam dunk clinical trial, because it's not quite as big as we want it to be, they were also in panic mode in January, right? Right. But... It'll be at least something for us to go on. Okay, so then oxycodone. What, what are we doing with that? <laughs> okay, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, or CQ and HCQ. This is the one that someone, like, fucking died. Yes. Because right. they just, like, chug chlorine. <laughs> I mean, my understanding is that they use something called chloroquine phosphate, which is sometimes an additive in aquariums. Wow. To stop some of, like, the growth of shit mm -hmm. in the water. And they were like chloroquine bro like i saw that in that tweet and then they took it and they od'd so wow so here's the thing chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine are fucking anti-malarial drugs they have also been used to treat lupus and rheumatoid arthritis their parent compound is quinine which is extracted from the bark of the cinchona tree from south america but this uh. is the shit that's in tonic right this is the gin and tonic giving it to soldiers so that they don't get malaria in Africa shit. Holy this, this shit. Is that, this is that whole thing. I didn't know about any of that. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not a gin and tonic uh, man like you. The amount of quinine in tonic nowadays is not enough to prevent malaria or anything. But back in the day, that's what was going on there, was they put quinine in tonic water, add a little bit of gin to make it tastier to British soldiers, <laughs> oh, and, then, God. and then they would down that shit to prevent malaria or to cure malaria. That's fucking cool. So... Some Germans in the lead up to World War II modified quinine to turn it into chloroquine. And these drugs are, in my opinion, very good examples of how nowadays we care a lot about figuring out how drugs work and like what they do and right. everything. Because they did not back then. <laughs> they cared way more about the drugs working at all rather than how they Poland, work. Yeah. Right. Like well, conquering sure. France. Yes. They yes. were busy. <laughs> yeah. Germans were busy. So that's the thing is that Actually, we know some things about how chloroquine works, but there's a lot of things about it we do not know why it's effective for some stuff. Isn't that true of a, like a lot of meds? Like I take some medication that was designed to stop seizures, and like now I use it to like feel good in the morning. Chloroquine, it's like a body drug, right? That is similar to all of the brain drugs we use. <laughs> in the okay. sense that brain drugs, we also often do not know. Why how, they're doing what right. they're doing. Why, how, right? Yeah. That question for brain drugs is kind of mysterious. Chloroquine is similar, except it's a body drug. Jeez. 
So the thing is that Chloroquine does a lot of different stuff, or maybe it does one particular thing and that affects a lot of stuff. What it does is it messes up lysosomal acidification. So lysosomes okay. are like the stomachs of your cell. Right. They eat the bad shit and dissolve it, right? Right, right, right. Or once a cell eats bad shit, it'll eventually get put into a lysosome to break it down and everything. Okay. So chloroquine disrupts that process. And that seems to interfere with some kinds of immune processes. So that's why it's used for treating lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Those are autoimmune or inflammatory disorders. Right. And this is supposed to reduce immune response. Now you might wonder... Why would you use that to fight a viral disease? But the problem is that our body goes into overdrive dealing with COVID-19, right? Eventually, in some cases, you see what's called ARDS, which is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ARD. <laughs> which is a kind of overactive I, immune infection. Well, it's one of the Witcher signs, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Ard, that's the <laughs> ARD. <laughs> you freeze people or whatever. You know, this drug also seems to fuck up the stomachs of the malarial parasites, and so that's kind of how it fights malaria. SARS-CoV-2 doesn't really even enter cells through the lysosome anyway, as far as we understand. So it's kind of a really big question as to why this drug would have anything to do with this disease, necessarily. Why did we think to try it? Because chloroquine has been used for the past 60 years in Petri dishes to basically be able to fuck around with viruses getting into cells. Yeah, we snort a little bit of it before we record Petri Dish. <laughs> so the thing is that over the course of those 60 years, it has been tried on probably like a dozen different viral diseases. It has, in clinical trials with placebos, double-blinded and everything, chloroquine has never, ever effectively been used in humans for any viral disease that's been tried on. Well, so what the fuck are we doing? Maybe this is the one? <laughs> yes. That's basically what it boils down to. It just sounds like there's some really randy Germans who just love this thing, and they just want to put in everything. It, people are people are dying. We're throwing darts. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things I will say about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine is that even though it is possible to OD on them. In fact, it's happened. Right. It's not terribly <laughs> hard to OD on them, but at the same time, they're actually used extremely widely. So the safety information on them is very clear. Even if it is still, you know, possible to OD, a lot of people take it prophylactically to avoid malaria in like African countries. So is like that millions. Where you put it in your cock? <laughs> it's inside condoms. Ah, okay, no, okay. So, so yeah, no. oh, what? <laughs> prophylactically <laughs> means you can't fuck with me when I legitimately don't know. <laughs> prophylactically just means before you get sick, it's supposed to help guard against getting sick. Ah, okay. So a condom is guarding against. Getting this, sick with pregnancy right, the, and the illness of pregnancy. Yes, yeah, the illness of children. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here, look. There's two published reports about using these drugs for SARS-CoV-2. One's from China, one's from France. The Chinese one says, it worked great. They did not provide any data. Okay. The one from France said, it worked great. And they provided some data. Oh. But a lot of scientists have brought the data into question. There's been some disconcerting things about it. Hmm. So that's why it's in this WHO trial. It's like, hey, look, let's do this thing. Let's do it in a really big trial, you know, to actually see what's going on here. Like the French had the Pasteur Institute and they were just like 
kicking ass. And then, like, around 1925, they just stopped. <laughs> like, you can't trust no science out of France no more. Oh, that's right. <laughs> hey, um, how do Chinese people translate their papers so fast? Do all scientists speak English and can write it well? Like, what's going on? Why do these papers get, like, translated so quickly? Right, so not all English-speaking scientists write English <laughs> I that well. I thought you were well. going to say, like, not all Americans write English. <laughs> right. So, I mean, honestly, I believe that. But for the most part, English is the lingua franca of science right and usually even if some scientists on a team don't speak english they'll have at least one person who will translate the manuscript when is the last time you think franco was the lingua franca like should we change that by now to like lingua inglese <laughs> <laughs> lingua inglese <laughs> why why can't we just say language english <laughs> anyway <laughs> I think that's like implicitly it's a it's um you're admitting that English is an uglier language. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that there's also been another study from China that said that there was no effect from using this drug, right? So so even the Chinese are not on the same page about this. Right. I'm skeptical, but look, if it ends up working, that's great. Yeah. Okay? We just need to find out. That's what clinical trials are for. Mm. Okay, so we have another Sylvian elf king to talk about, right? <laughs> or more like a Rohanian early dynasty. Yeah, I'm loving all of these Lord of the Rings cuts. So so in this case, this is actually a drug duo, Ritonavir and Lopinavir. And, Famously died in each other's arms. <laughs> and these ones are used in combination. Uh, the combination is called Caletra, and it's used for HIV. It is effectively used for HIV. So this is an FDA-approved combination for HIV. Hey, by the way. Yeah. Like, you can cure HIV now with, like, bone marrow transplant. But it's, like, mad expensive, right? So I believe at this point the count is up to two people have been cured from bone marrow transplants. But bone marrow is from specific people. Babies. Oh, okay. No, No, not babies. (laughs) But specific people that have, I think it's just one specific mutation... Wow. That makes their bone marrow and all of the cells it creates not susceptible. Okay, to so still money is the only cure. That's yeah, it's like really solid. People are working on it. I okay. think I think HIV. There's some promising prospects out there. It's kind of sad that we're part of the cover-up of the HIV epidemic by not doing an episode on it. Jesus. It's, and then and, and the band played on! It's on the list. It's uh, coming. Okay, wait, wait, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about, you know, these two elven brothers. Yes, okay. They inhibit what's called a protease. A protease is a protein that cuts other proteins. And HIV uses a protease to be able to cut itself free from cells. And EA is just generally like a catalyst or an enzyme, right? Or something like that? So ases in terms of... (laughs) (laughs) Ases! Ases in terms of enzymes are usually ones that cut something. Okay, cool. So in this case, these are cutting proteins that set the virus free from cells. So in order to spread, they need this protease to work. These drugs block it from working. Sweet. So the virus can't spread from cell to cell. Now, these have been tested in a Petri dish. And they worked. Right. But we don't know about an, uh, like a human body. One early trial has finished. Oh, fuck. And they did not work. In oh, that early there trial. you go. Okay. People, <laughs> very disappointed. Right. Um, sure. The authors in that study and a couple of other scientists pointed out that the trial is relatively small and not randomized. So it's possible that if you do a bigger study, it's a little bit better controlled. Maybe there is an effect. But now people are kind of sad about this one, right? But it's still part of the WHO study, so we're going we're gonna to get to find out and see what happens. Okay? okay, well, I'm seeing you use this stuff with some crazy-ass shit. 
interferon beta? Right. So actually, the fourth treatment that the WHO is trying is actually the same as the third treatment, except they're adding in interferon beta also. So here, say it back to me because I don't know how to pronounce these names. So we're using... Oh, ritonavir, lapinavir, and interferon beta. Sweet. Okay, and interferon beta is actually a human protein. So our immune cells make interferon beta. It gets secreted out, and it tells a bunch of other cells, like, hey, we got a viral infection going on. Right. Sends the message out to the community. That sounds like a beta move. (laughs) And there's actually several interferons, okay? And so in this case, there's some studies that suggest maybe interferon beta can be useful. It's not clear when... It's going to be useful. As you were saying, there can be a stage of the disease where maybe the immune response is actually too strong. Oh, fuck. And so interferon beta might make things worse. Again, what clinical trials are for? So we're going to figure that shit out. So these are all antiviral treatments that would help a person once they exhibit symptoms. Again, the hospital, we give them this. They don't die. They get better. Yeah. Why is a vaccine? Everyone says... Well, Trump says, like, vaccine by Easter, but everyone else says, like, vaccines are going to take 12 to 16 months. Yeah. Why? What's up with that? Why so much longer? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. There's a couple of reasons. One of them, we have to make the vaccine from scratch, basically. And so there are some things that we already know about vaccines. This is a novel flu. Right. All of these drugs that are in testing right now are drugs that existed before for other shit, right? And so that's why we get to use them so quick. I think it's possible that in the next year or something, some pharma company might be like, we've discovered a new drug that we think could be useful for coronaviruses. And don't trust them. (laughs) They want your brain. But that's some future shit, (laughs) right? Okay, so part of it was we needed to make new vaccines. And that is, it's going. I think there's at least two, maybe three vaccines now that they're going to put into trials. The second part is the trials also do take longer than these trials. Fuck. And the reason why is treatment trials last per patient for how long it takes for them to either get better or die. Okay. Which is a limited amount of time. (laughs) How's it different for vaccines then? For vaccines, what you need to do is you need to be able to administer the vaccine and then let the immune system kind of take that vaccine, take the antigen and adjuvants, build up immunity, start (laughs) pooping out antibodies and all this shit. You need to give them time to see the antibody levels go up. All of that stuff can take 10 days to a month minimum. Right. And then from there, how long does the immunity last? Because if it just immediately starts going down afterwards, this vaccine, you need to think more about how you're going to administer it to people. Yeah, people forget that all the time, but vaccines actually have different lifespans, right? Right. So how long is that protection for? Is it the kind of thing you give it to healthcare workers and you have to give them a booster every week or some kind of shit? Like what's... (laughs) Bummer. Yeah. Well, we have to figure that out. And their healthcare workers, they're in the hospital anyway. But like the point is, you know, that kind of stuff is the thing that you need more time to be able to collect that data on. And so those clinical trials typically take a little bit longer. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to take like a quick break. And then when we get back, I'm going to talk about one thing that's not in this WHO trial that I still think is a really interesting treatment. And then we're going to debunk a bunch of stuff. Guys, welcome back. Now we're going to talk about this really... Actually, you lead us in. I'm confused. (laughs) Okay. One treatment that's not in the WHO trial, but that is going to be in its own trial, and FDA has approved the research on it, is what's called convalescent plasma. Yeah, what the fuck are we talking about? Okay, so plasma is when you take someone's blood and you get rid of the cells from it. And then you inject it into Silicon Valley people so they don't age, right? (laughs) For the young blood stuff. I remember this now. Yeah, sure. So the thing is that convalescent plasma contains a lot of proteins in it, including antibodies. Okay. And so the convalescent part 
is about COVID-19, people who have convalesced or gotten better. Oh, okay. okay. So if you are a person who had a confirmed case of COVID-19 and you're all better now, congratulations, you survived. That's great. Give me your plasma. You might be able to save other people's lives. Oh. Because if people take out those people's blood, remove the red blood cells, because who gives a shit about those guys, try to get the antibodies out of it, put those antibodies into people who are high risk, maybe even people who are just starting to get sick. Okay. You might be able to cure those people. Or prevent them from getting serious disease. So what, like, the injected antibodies just, like, fuck, like, the local antibodies? That's a great question. In this case, the plasma has, hopefully, what we call neutralizing antibodies. Those are antibodies that physically attach onto the virus and block it from being able to do anything. So it would just get in the way. It would just cock-block the virus. No. And you would just need to take shots of those antibodies, they're not reproducing themselves. I see, right. Okay, so we need to, like, just hook up recovered patients. We hook them up to machines <laughs> in some, like, camp in Area 51, and we just suck them dry. It's like the Matrix. We need to use them like the robots did in the Matrix. I like that. Okay, so that's interesting, because so it's not like your body learns anything or gets an immunity. It's just, like, literally that new antibody from the plasma right. fucks with the corona. Right, right. So it's a passive immunity. This was actually, this is not a new idea. This goes back to the late 1800s. We've been doing this kind of thing for a long time. Sure. It's just, it's actually time-consuming, difficult, and there's some safety concerns. Yeah. Okay? For example, you need to make sure that the people who got better from COVID-19 are done having the virus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> right. You can imagine sense. how fucking bad that could be. Yeah. Right? There's also a question, again, of when do you administer this? A lot of times for convalescent plasma, this kind of passive immunization, it works best as a prophylactic before you get sick. So this might be the kind of thing you want to give to healthcare workers because they're going in every single day and fucking right. trying to save people. Right. And they're very high risk of getting sick. Maybe, but not sure. You can see if it would also be helpful in people who are somewhat immunocompromised or something. Because they're right. not going to be making their own antibodies anyway. Maybe this can help out in the blocking process. You know, I actually did a little history research for this. You mentioned that this idea of plasma goes back to the late 1800s. Uh -huh. Get this. It was innovated by a Romanian scientist named Vladimir Tchaikovsky. And he had introduced vaccination to his region and became so infamous for it because of all the misinformation around it that he was known as Vlad the Vaccinator. <laughs> and that's actually the basis of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, that, okay. that was beautiful. Well, now that I've said a bunch of silly stuff, let's talk about debunking. Yes. Um, Great. Thank you. So we talked about all the treatments that are actually in trials and all the ideas that are actually out there among the scientific community. None of which, by the way, scientists are certain work yet, right? Like that's the reason there's a process to figure this out let's talk about all the crazy shit because this is bipartisan we're gonna do a lot of both sides isms here yeah we're full spectrum okay so we were texted by our commie friends saying that cuba's solved covid19 sean yeah has cuba cured coronavirus no <laughs> that was easy okay so look here's the thing there is this message going around about cuba drug miracle stuff that the chinese are like hey cuban drugs are great and that the cubans have this particular protein that they've invented or some kind of shit that the U.S. won't use. We won't use it. Oh, man. Because communists. Geopolitics. Okay. Now, here's the thing. We know what that protein is. It's called interferon alpha 2b. And if you guys have already forgotten, we just talked about it. We just talked about interferon beta. This is another interferon. Okay. We already make it. We sell it in the U.S. 
we use it in U.S. hospitals. The fact of the matter it's, is that doesn't necessarily help with COVID-19 on its own. Some people are trying it out. In general, people are trying out several different interferons to see if they are effective in combating COVID-19. This is one of them. There are some small papers being published that are like, hey, it helps. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to call it a Cuba drug that the U.S. won't use. Right. We literally make it here. Europe makes it. Cuba does make it in a joint venture with China. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> everyone in the world's making it. It's yeah. just a fucking protein out of human cells. It's like, guys, I get it. Viva Revolution. Che Guevara's <laughs> hot. Fuck Marco Rubio. <laughs> but like, Cuba does not miracly, miracle cure things all the time. Yeah, not all the time anyway. Yeah. In fact, I think if I remember the story correctly, what happened was there were some Cuban scientists that had come to the U.S. to basically tour some kind of drug facility to learn stuff. And one of the things that they learned was how to begin production on interferon alpha 2B. So I think actually they learned about it in the U.S. Who let the commies in? <laughs> okay, okay. So so that's one of the things that are crazy. Yes. I wanted to really quickly mention that, you know, we've heard from a family member that France is hoarding some sort of treatment. Have you heard of this at all? Yeah, so that one is actually relating to the chloroquine, if I remember correctly. If you remember what I said in that section, one of the studies was out of France. Uh, I think that's where this weird story came from. from. Yeah, is that the French have figured out a cure and that they're hoarding it somehow. Chloroquine is literally made like everywhere in the world and used everywhere in the world. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. So also bullshit. Yep. So the big one is that ibuprofen, that Advil in your counter, is a secret killer. Okay, that works with Corona to fuck you up. Tell me about ibuprofen. Yeah, okay. So ibuprofen bad is also one of those conspiracy theories kind of floating around. Ibuprofen bad sounds like a 1980s rebranding effort on ibuprofen. (laughs) It's like ibuprofen bad. And someone who looks at my check is like, ibuprofen is bad. Yeah. It's a Simpsons uh, crossover with <laughs> yeah. Bart being like, don't have a cow, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ibuprofen, bad. Hey, okay, so, okay. so yeah. I interrupted you, though. Tell me about yeah. a Frenchman. Okay. Ibuprofen is used to reduce fevers sometimes, along with acetaminophen. You can use either one, right, to reduce fevers. And, hey, COVID-19 causes fevers, so it's understandable people might be taking one or the other of those. Right. There is a story out there that it makes COVID-19 worse to take ibuprofen. This kind of originated it seems, from a letter sent by some doctors that was published on March 11th, hypothesizing that some treatments for various stuff like high blood pressure and diabetes might increase how much ACE2 our cells have on the surface. And if you remember, ACE2 is what the virus uses to get into your cells. Okay, so that is hypothetically bad. Right. I mean, like, logically speaking, I think their hypothesis makes sense. Like, hey, there's some drugs we take that increases ACE2. Virus gets in with ACE2, could be bad. And famously in the scientific method, a hypothesis is immediately true. (laughs) So that's the thing, is that biology is complicated as shit. We do not even know that more ACE2 is a bad thing. This shit is novel. Yeah, that's been around for like two and a half months. Right, and even ACE2, we found out about because of SARS in 2003, so we haven't even known about that protein for that long. That's like not even that long ago. So... Overall, there's a lot of shit we don't know, and so that's why it was a hypothesis. I don't think it's the doctor's fault. They put this out there as an idea. Right. And then some people read that and was like, oh, one of their examples was ibuprofen. Ibuprofen makes COVID-19 worse, including, I think, like a French health minister Yeah. said this shit. And that lends it way more credence than most conspiracy theories get. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, just the fact of the matter is, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe some data will come out, some really good data that shows that it does. Okay, so I'm not calling this one, like, 
there's no way it's possible. I'm just saying... We don't know. There's no data to suggest that it does. Right. This whole situation with COVID-19 is very nascent, right? I mean, like, and we should be prepared for the process of developing a proper antiviral regimen, developing a vaccine. All that stuff is going to take a long time. COVID-19 is here to stay for a long time. Luckily, we're going to enjoy Easter. But besides (laughs) that, like, you know, no one should expect a panacea and no one should expect clear conclusions yet on the exact way that it works, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you guys are worried about ibuprofen for whatever reason, acetaminophen is still an option as an antipyretic. It can lower fevers. The thing I'll say about acetaminophen is it's not my drug of choice because it can make your liver go ouchy. So you need to go ahead and not overdose on that, uh, which means follow the instructions very carefully. It's actually a drug where you do. I get that it's over the counter, but you need to pay attention to the instructions on how often to take it because it can damage your liver. Hmm. I mean, I think that wraps it up for this COVID update. If you listened all the way through and then you're like, I never want to hear another COVID thing again, that's fine. Because, by the way, we have a ton of episodes that have fucking nothing to do with this virus. Right. All kinds of other things. Other diseases. If you still want to be freaked out by some kind of disease. Hey, we got that for you. Also dogs. Yes. Dogs. Dogs. Two episodes on dogs. One on cats for fairness purposes. Yeah. Check all of that stuff out. Nathan plugged our patreon earlier patreon.com slash petri dish you can tweet at us at dish podcast we have an instagram now at petri dish podcast so you can go see some kind of picture or some shit i don't know i'm not good at instagram okay fair (laughs) enough uh thank you stacy for sound thank you brian allen for art you guys ich bin ein coronavirus see you guys later petri dish